Welcome to the Whistleblower Newsroom. I'm Christina Borgeson. My guest today is Michelle Shasadovsky, an award-winning author, professor emeritus of economics at Ottawa University, and founder and director of the Center for Research on Globalization. Shasadovsky has served as economic advisor to governments of developing countries and authored 11 books, including The Globalization of Poverty in the New World Order, and America's War on Terrorism. But more to the point of this show, Shah Sadowski has written a series of elucidating articles on the COVID-19 situation that bring a big picture into clear focus. In a muddy media environment where it's hard to assess what's true and what isn't and what's important to know, Shah Sadowski's articles bring a laser beam to the table, cutting through the lies and getting to the information that we all really need to know. Welcome, Michelle. Well, I'm delighted to be on the program. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, it's great to see you after all these years. and I really want to dive right into it because you've done some amazing work. Um, I actually, I downloaded all your articles and read them and uh, put them in chronological order and uh, decided that I just want you to just give me the salient points for as many of them as we can get through because it's it you you've done a prodigious amount of work here. So I want to start with your March 2020 article which is uh, titled COVID-19 coronavirus the crisis. You simulate and then you go live. So talk about that one. Well, uh, the simulation of the virus was actually conducted on the 18th of October. And uh, uh, it was sponsored by the John Hopkins uh, School of, um, of Medicine. Uh, it's called the Health Security Center. And uh, it was also, but essentially was sponsored by Gates Foundation and the World Economic Forum. They got together in New York and uh, they said, well, you know, pandemics are very dangerous and we have to look after and make sure that it doesn't happen. So they simulated and uh, they simulated a coronavirus. And in fact, the name that they, that they had in their simulation was the same name as the one which was published subsequently. It was called a, novo, a novella coronavirus. Now, so that this was a simulation. I don't want to get into the details of that simulation. Uh, I'd rather focus on, the, on, on what happened. But I, I, I don't think that we can dispel uh, the notion that there might have been foreknowledge of this pandemic. And also the fact, and that's amply documented, that powerful financial interests were involved in setting the stage. And, I, and for that, I'd like to go to the, the decisions taken in January. Okay. Uh, and also the way, the, the justifications for those, for those uh, decisions, particularly the decision of, of January 30th, which uh, essentially was taken by WHO and then was followed the following day, President Trump actually declared a um, curtailment of air travel with China. That is the key, um, the, the, that's the beginning, so to speak. Now, um, before I, I, I start um, on the chronology, uh, I, well, yes, I've spent uh, the last nine months uh, researching this, and uh, I'm not a medical doctor, but I've, <laughs> I have a specialization in health economics, and, and, and I understand the relationship between uh, how uh, the relationship between econ economic variables and health, how, how uh, impoverishment actually triggers uh, mortality and morbidity. Uh, that came later. That was, in, that was the March 11th when they declared the lockdown, okay? And when they also declared the, the closing down of 193 uh, um, national economies worldwide. But now let me get to the issue which is very fundamental, and, it, and you might call it a, a so-called smoking gun. Uh, the justification for major decisions throughout has been the use of um, 
a particular test to get the estimates. And that's called the PCR test, the polymerase chain reaction, uh, and uh, which then was the invention of a, distinct, uh, a distinguished uh, medical doctor from North Carolina, uh, Carrie, uh, Carrie Mullis. Um, and essentially, they are what all these reports are based on when they take a decision with regard to the WHO, they're based on the PCR test, which is there, is there for the confirmation of uh, COVID-19 positive, so to speak, okay? COVID-19 positive. Now, uh, if you look through the official definitions, and if you look at um, Mullis's um, scientific reports, the PCR test was never intended to identify a virus. In fact, it cannot, under any circumstances, identify COVID-19. What it identifies are a set of particles, fragments of a, of a virus. It's a, it's a sophisticated- Of any virus? Of any virus? Of, of any virus, it takes a, it, in other words, um, typically, uh, this test has been used for years. It was invented in the 1980s. It, it's used to, to um, it's used as a support. It's a useful test. It's used to help doctors to diagnose things like seasonal influenza. But it does not identify the virus. And if you test positive to PCR, you might have seasonal influenza Just a regular flu a regular flu and 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 or you might have just a common cold now it just so happens that the what was called SARS-2 they 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 gave this the name SARS-2 which was similar to SARS-1 uh which uh, which is a corona coronavirus uh, respiratory uh, illness with pneumonia and so on and so forth. In, in essence, uh, there's no way of saying uh, if you're positive. Now, I, I've come up with, the, with the, the understanding that this fake positive or, or um, negative is a, is a red herring. Why? Because you can't, the, it's not really that, that the, the positive is fake. All the positives are fake, okay? All of them because they don't identify COVID-19. So that if you have a common cold and you have you know, problems and so on, you might go and test positive and then they will, that is the CDC in, in the United States, they will simply say, you've got it and you're part of the data, okay? And- Well, so let's, let me just be clear about this. The first cases that were identified in China, they were, they, the the PCR polymerase what is it again um, polymerase PCR, polymerase chain reaction test that's what they use to test those people and say they had COVID. I I think in China they had different tests and I I haven't got into that. They had a number of tests and they were more pragmatic on on the on the actually focusing and and. And since this, no, that, that, that's the other thing, which is very important that people don't know it. This COVID-19 is portrayed as the killer virus all over the media, right? And then they get, yes. Anthony Fauci said it's 10 times worse than the, than the seasonal influenza. I went through his, his peer-reviewed reports. I went through the WHO reports, the CDC, and they all, in the official definitions, they say, it's mild for 80% of the cases. It's similar to seasonal influenza. Um, and they quote it, and, then they, and even Anthony Fauci says it, it is not a killer virus, okay? So that we've had a fear campaign, which is devastating. Well, wait and a second, wait a second. When did Fauci change from, this is a little worse than a influenza to this is the mortality rate is 10 times worse than an influenza. Well, in fact, Fauci didn't change his point of view in that regard. 
His peer-reviewed uh, analysis in the New England Journal of Medicine were published in March. And if you look at his statements on CNN, he'll say exactly the opposite. So he's a liar. Oh, well, I'm sorry. He is lying to himself. As they say in French. <laughs> yeah, also he uh, may. Uh, Perez, he's a liar. <laughs> Allegedly, whatever. Yeah. I, I don't like to to personalize this. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It is a very serious. This is the most serious crisis in 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 modern history, because it has enabled um, governments responding to financial interests. I should insist to uh, to order the lockdown. Uh, to order a lockdown and to order the closure of 193 national economies. In fact, only 190 went through with it. Uh, and that is presented to public opinion as, uh, as a solution to a public health crisis, which is not even uh, verified in terms of solid data. Okay, uh, let me let me dial back something I said because I said I agree with you that this should not be personalized. But in in the end, there are human beings behind this. There are specific human beings behind this, and and I, I always think it. You know, this is the whistleblower newsroom, Michelle. People have to be held accountable. You can't say the CDC or you know the White House or the. I really believe in really pinpointing who is it who's doing okay. this who's involved in these shenanigans okay well i'll i'll, I'll try to do that okay <laughs> uh let me go back in the chronology okay so that first of all on on uh, october 18th they had the simulation now many of the people who were involved in the simulation were present at the World Economic Forum in Davos, uh, which preceded the announcement of the World Health Organization by about a week. It was held from the 21st, 24th of, uh, of uh, January. And um, the Director General of, um, of the World Health Organization, uh, Dr. Tedros, was present. There were people from the pharmaceutical industry and um, and uh, there's an entity which actually supported by the Gates Foundation, CP, which uh, and which is involved in vaccinations. It's called the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations. That's correct. Sponsored uh, by the World Economic Forum and the Gates Foundation, correct? Exactly. Now that that organization uh, organized. They had a panel and they invited a, the C, the CEO of Moderna, which makes vaccines, and if you look at the debate, you can see that they had already prepared the virus well in advance for the corona, uh, you know, for you the, the vaccine. I'm sorry, not the virus. <laughs> they had prepared the vaccine. The vaccine was um, at the debates in, in Davos. They already said, we've got the vaccine. We're working on it. And that was not during the it wasn't two weeks since the Chinese announced it on the 7th, okay? They announced it on the 7th. On the 20th of January, they meet in Davos and they start discussing the virus, the, sorry, the, the, the vaccine. And in fact, that vaccine had already, was already in the pipeline. I have the documents to that effect. So, so yet, hold up, hold up. People need to understand that it usually takes, doesn't it take years to develop a vaccine? Yes, it does. Years. Okay, yeah. so they already had a vaccine. How many days into uh, the announcement of the co coronavirus? That well, I, I mean, it was two. It was a week before the announcement. A week it, before. Okay. And, uh, right. but, well, the the first announcement was on the seventh. Okay. By the Chinese. Then two weeks later, they already announced that they had a vaccine, or they were working on a vaccine. They didn't say okay. they had it. They were working on it. And then, and then um, uh, one week later, uh, the, the CEO, the Director General of the World Health Organization makes a historic announcement, which is the launching of a public health emergency of international concern. Now there, this is where all the, the, the smoking guns come in. There's several smoking guns. Um, as I mentioned, the PCR test does not measure 
the incidence of the virus. So okay. you cannot make a statement that say uh, you are COVID plus because the the PCR test doesn't do it, and uh, it it identifies a whole series of fragments. And this, uh, incidentally, this I had my doubts right at the beginning on on the numbers because they look so fishy. But the medical profession took several months to actually reveal that. But now it is, it's revealed. It, it's, it says you can't measure this, uh, this, the spread of this epidemic because you're using a test which does not identify the virus. And that, that in itself should invalidate everything. Okay. It, okay. So that's smoking gun one. What's yeah, smoking well, gun two? Smoking gun two is the following. Uh, on the 30th of January, the, the CEO, well, the, the Director General of the World Health Organization, Dr. Tedros, who had, who had been in Davos a week earlier, um, his, um, his committee uh, makes the following statement. We declare a public health emergency of international concern and there are only 86 cases uh, outside China, and only seven of those cases are not linked to China. Now, uh, if you think, if you understand that the population outside China is of the order of 6.4 billion people, you might say that, uh, you know, you could have a, a pandemic, you could have a health emergency for people who fall off a bicycle and you get larger numbers, okay? But the, 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 the numbers border on ridicule uh, that, um, that uh, an entity- seven, seven dead people do not a pandemic make. In no, no, it wasn't even dead. There were no dead. At that, oh. at that stage, there were no dead. There were 86 cases, 86 cases outside China. Now, five in the United States, three in Britain, four in Canada, something of that order. But five in the United States, I have that figure. There were five cases in the United States. I, I'm not sure whether, and most of those were linked to, to people who had traveled to China or whatever. But you see that the, the smoking gun one and smoking gun two. First, the measurements for that, for, that, for those uh, figures, 86, are based on a flawed um, uh, yes. it's a flow test. It doesn't prove a bloody thing. It doesn't prove anything. Okay, so you you uh, you do the the PCR test and you say, oh, we've got eighty six cases. Okay, but then but, the but here's my question to you. Then also at at that particular moment when they said, oh, okay, we've got this pandemic on the way. We have and they give you these these silly uh, statistics. Why wasn't there a giant Wait, what from, you know, the different countries, from the physicians, from everybody else? I mean, how did that go? How did it go down so easily? Well, I, I think it went down easily because people don't read official reports. And, uh, and the journalists uh, were there uh, with the mandate to precipitate a fear campaign so that they started talking about then bear in mind the sequence because on the 30th 86 cases i've i've gone through these who reports on practically on a daily basis now 86 cases doesn't justify what they've done and in that case yes that's where the the people in davos the people in davos gave the green light to tedros okay uh and and uh, the people on that committee must have been uh, paid off in one form or another or convinced that they had to do it. And because from a scientific point of view, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. First of all, the test is invalid. And secondly, the numbers are so ridiculously low to, to declare with 86 cases to declare worldwide, pan, not a pandemic, public health emergency. They were careful there. They declared the pandemic later on, but that's really what started it up. Now, the following day, uh, Donald Trump was very concerned about these five cases in the United States, and he then declared uh, um, a freeze of air travel to the People's Republic of China, as well as which immediately disrupted trade 
and it also had implications on other avenues of trade. So that uh, essentially we were there in a situation where, where trading, international trading in the course of January, February was already in a, in a, in a crisis. Uh, the delivery of commodities, the container trade, and so on. And all that because of five cases in the United States, uh, which were measured by a test which, which doesn't measure anything, okay? It just it provides support to diagnosis for respiratory infections, but they may have different, of different kinds. Uh, now, the, the doctors know that test inside out, and they have come up with assessments, but it, even in early February, it was clear that these tests, if you look at the CDC categorization, they have, they have confirmed cases and then they have presumed or possible cases. But again, uh, in addition to that, and that's smoking gun number three, so to speak, is that because these cases were so low, they had all sorts of uh, manipulations to make the figures go up, okay? And uh, one um, which was quite common in the United Kingdom was to say, well, you take a swab in, in, the, in the nose and the throat, you multiply it by two, and then instead of having one positive case, you have two. It's, it's the same person, but you multiply it by what, two. Did they bother giving a rationale uh, for why you would uh, count it twice just because you had two nostrils or whatever? Well, it, it came out in an August report in the British media, and, and the, the government said we made a mistake, and we are now, uh, we are now uh, making the adjustment of 1.3 million tests that we made uh, under false prep, you know, under mistaken premises. And then the British media said, oh, yes, they made a mistake. And that was only discovered in July. Yet I had reports of that occurring in the British media as early as May. In fact, they've done it all along. So they multiplied by two. Now, I, I mean, there are many yeah, ways. That, now that comes out, but yet the lie now is still going the around the world. The, right? the thing is, I think that most people don't know that the PCR test uh, doesn't measure uh, a COVID-19 positive case. And, and my message to people who are going to get tested, you may have to know that you're being tested for PCR and you could have a cold and it comes out positive. And I've, I've checked the coronaviruses. There are, there are several, there's a category of better coronaviruses, which is the common cold. And uh, so, you know, this doesn't detect, this doesn't prove anything now they are using these statistics for the second wave and, and and this is where of course there's a level of i think criminal negligence on one part but it's outright fraud because i'm sure that the medical doctors who are working at the ministry of health let's say in canada or department of health in the united states and at the state level they must know that the pcr test doesn't no. identify the virus. So, but now, wait a second. You, you're talking about the second wave. Yeah. Uh, when did when did they start talking about the second wave and using what statistics or what what was the ration? What were they saying the second wave was all about? Well, the second wave, I think, comes. They started to talk about the second wave about June, and now it's it's in a process of being implemented. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's implemented alongside these restrictions on, uh, you know, the imposition of the mask and the social distancing and the closing of colleges and universities. Uh, here in, in Quebec, uh, family reunions are, are illegal. If somebody has a birthday, they can only invite one person. I, I, can you imagine? It's a social engineering. That's ridiculous. That is, what? That's one person? Yeah, my, my sister-in-law had her birthday uh, a couple of days back and, and she said, well, I could invite one person and you, you can't come. So it, well, how do you police that exactly? Well, they also have fines and everything. I mean, it, it, it's, it's getting into a sort of police state uh, mentality. And they're even saying that the people who refuse to uh, accept the, you know, the official narrative and who question 
that could be you or me. Uh, we are psychopaths. We are. Um, that that goes to an article that you wrote in August 2020, right? Called "Collective Narcissism and the Dark Triad." Those who protest against the official COVID-19 narrative are categorized as psychopaths. Was it like a Brazilian study or something? Well, it's more than that. It, it, it was this, initially they had a Brazilian study and then they had one in Hungary, but the one in Hungary was then extended to quite a number of other countries. And what they, they do is that anybody who responds to the question, what do you think about the, the face mask? Uh, and they said, well, we, we, or, they, or social distancing and so on and so forth. If you, if you have any critique, you are categorized as antisocial psychopath, okay? Now, I think that at the level of the decision-making process, there are quite a number of psychopaths, okay? We, 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 can we might be able to name them. But again, the big players in, if you look at Davos and you look at Event 201 and you look at previous uh, initiatives, uh, we're talking about very powerful entities. Of course, big farmers there, but it's not only big pharma. It's it's big money. Uh, it's uh, it's also the, the, the U.S. World State. Health Organization is interesting because um, in one of your articles you talk about a, a history like uh, during swine flu they were trying to turn swine flu into this devastating pandemic, and uh, the head of the uh, World Health Organization at the time, a, a woman called Chan, I believe was talking about the billions of vaccines that were going to result from that or something. Well, it happened. It happened. Uh, Margaret Chan um, was the director general of the, of, um, uh, of the WHO at the time. I actually wrote on that. So that was 10 years ago. I wrote on it. Uh, and in fact, I was even granted a, uh, a Project Censored Award for it. But, uh, and I understood, but it took time. I understood that there was a fraud there. But, you know, the, the fact is that the, there was an official recognition that they had made a mistake because all those billions of samples of vaccines were not, we in Canada, we had, we had for a population of, you know, 38 million uh, approximately, we had ordered millions of, of, vac of, of samples of vaccines and then they decided simply they couldn't use them. And then the virus mutated and so on. And then they sent they sent these samples to developing countries, but which was pro forma and 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 in fact criminal because they couldn't be used. Well, but, what, do, what do you mean? They sent them? Were they used in those developing countries? We don't know. What we know is that there was no government investigation into the financial fraud behind that, because that's taxpayers' money. But I mean, it, it was a similar, a similar. Um, well, it was it was different in some regards because Margaret Chan uh, declared the pandemic very early, based on on uh, uh, barely a few cases, and then of course media disinformation, and then after that she said, "Well, we don't need to collect the data anymore because we've already decided on the pandemic." Now, uh, and there was no second wave which was uh, envisaged. We're in a, a different situation because now I should get into examining the economic aspects, but, uh, and there's, there's certain, there's certain uh, aspects concerning the, the data which I'm currently working on, uh, which illustrate the extent to which the whole system is corrupt data collection, um, you know, health healthcare delivery and so on. Um, the, there was a, an event in February, which is quite significant. The World Health uh, Organization Director General made a press conference on the 21st and um, gave a sort of a summary of what was going on. Now, he said, we now have a situation very serious uh, and so on. We have 1,073 cases. Previously, we had only 86, so that wasn't really very enough. He said, well, it's going up. We had 1,073 cases on the 21st of February. I checked the, the data, and I 
I looked to see that out of this 173 cases, five, um, 652 were on a cruise ship, the Diamond Princess, which was stranded in the territorial waters of Japan in Yokohama, okay? They were passengers, there were 3,700 passengers and crew. They all had the PCR test. And then what that did is it shot up the numbers and then those numbers were categorized by the World Health Organization as worldwide, you know, worldwide. And uh, they, they said, they said uh, uh, we have a, uh, 1,073, I, I subtracted one from the other and I get 421 worldwide, okay? Now, uh, anybody who has done Statistics 101 knows that there's so, such a thing as a representative sample, that you don't, that, that those people on the Diamond Princess, first of all, had been locked up in their rooms, they were all got sick, you know, and, and, uh, and then they were tested with the PCR test, which in any event doesn't prove a, oh, anything. Yeah. And they might have just got a cold or, or an influenza and so on and so forth. And then that was used for worldwide data. So you can imagine I'm coming out with that article that 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 analysis of ridiculously low data to justify something which was far reaching and then that was in february 20th now imagine what was happening in february it was the the financial crash and the financial crash was using um in, in fact, reports, so-called reports on the progression of the pandemic, of the, you know, of the virus, the killer virus, and the saying situation is very uncertain, and then the Dow Jones collapses, okay? And I can tell you that just in the week following that declaration of 1,073 cases plus increases in China, then, of course, the, the, the you know, the, the, the financial... Um, the financial variables go viral, well, go viral, so to speak, they, they collapse. Right. And you can, you, we know, uh, financial analysts and economists know that, that, that the, the, the major financial actors are using uncertainty and foreknowledge and foreknowledge concerning pronouncements, let's say by a head of government or, or by the president of the United States or by Bloomberg. Uh, you know, uh, who controls a good section of the financial uh, media. So that this, in effect, in, in February, led to a massive collapse in, in, personal, in, in, in personal wealth, a redistribution of financial well, wealth. You no, know, this, is, this is something that has struck me, Michelle, how, remember the, the crash of 2008, you know, that was, that was through the toxic uh, loans and all that. And, you know, everything crashed. And then, of course, all of this personal property was bought up. You know, it was, it was one of the biggest transfers of wealth ever. And it seems to me that this situation mirrors that one, but is even exponentially worse. You know, because as everything is destroyed, it creates opportunity to buy everything up cheaply again and control more more resources and and assets. I mean, am I am I looking at this? No, you are absolutely right. You are absolutely right. You're the the thing is that uh, as far as there are two phases in this in this process of redistribution of of wealth. One was the crash uh, in February. Uh, which was devastating, and 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 certainly, uh, I, I I I looked at the figures. In fact, some of the figures corresponded to the simulations back in October. They made simulations of Wall Street crash back in October, in uh, under the auspices of the John Hopkins School of Medicine, and uh, and uh, they were very similar. I uh, and and then not to say that well. They, uh, not not to say that that one determined the other, but but the the context of of uncertainty uh, and fear uh, particularly will affect people who have their lifelong savings in in a in a you know in in a portfolio of of uh, companies 
through their broker, their local, uh, their local bank. That's that's all. That's the life of mi millions and millions of Americans, where where uh, their their lifelong savings were were wiped out. Uh, that's that's stage one, and it is far more serious than uh, than two thousand eight. But it's the same mechanisms. You know, you have the hedge funds. You have you have uh, short selling. Uh, uh, you know, um, uh, you, you buy derivatives and so on. I mean, economists know these, or some economists at least know know these the, these instruments. And uh, I, I um, at one time that was back uh, um, in, many years ago. I, I in the in the late 90s, I said that the. The Dow Jones is going to collapse. I had, I said, and it did in in August. I think it was '98. It collapsed, and I had, I had, I had purchased uh, um, um, an index fund for the stock for the for the Dow Jones and the Toronto Stock Exchange. I was right, but I missed it by a week. So, <laughs> but then I. How embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the thing is that people, the institutional traders who do this, they know the chronology. They said, oh, no, they, because they are so powerful, they influence the markets. And and so I, I lost, well, I won't say how much I lost. It wasn't a large amount, but it I, I, I got the understanding of index funds and derivative trade for having experienced it, and then after that, I I get got out of the stock market for the so rest of my phase life. Two of this thing of this economic redistribution. Well, there, there are two phases, and and the the second phase is far more dramatic. The first phase is is a redistribution of financial wealth, but it also led companies into bankruptcy as well. Uh, and the second phase is uh, is the March eleventh. Um, lockdown and uh, closing down of the global economy. And there we have a situation now, the, the, the number of cases had went up uh, to something of the order of 100 and I think it was 118,000, um, again, so-called confirmed yeah, yeah. Case, PCR cases, 118,000 worldwide. And forty-two thousand deaths. I'll discuss the issue of the deaths because there again, they were there was there was a so big lying. They they redefined the way you you um, measure um, the cause of death. But uh, with regard to the impact of the, that decision of March eleven, it's far-reaching because it orders the closing down of the whole planet. It, the economy of the whole planet. Now, anybody who has some common sense knows that economic activity is real life. It reproduces yeah. everything. Okay, yeah. it, it's it's not it's it's production. It's uh, it's services. It's it's everything. It's investment. It's and uh, whether we like the capitalist economy or not, anymore for other for a lot of people. Yeah, and it is a massive derogation of the right to work. Millions and millions of people have been un have pushed into unemployment. Uh, in some countries where you have a informal urban sector, which may cover more than 50% of the labor force, uh, these people, their lives are literally destroyed. If you look at the situation in India, it is not even, we're not talking about poverty, we're talking about the transition from poverty into despair and to total—I mean—to and and ultimately morbidity and and mortality. Uh, and and uh, I think that people across the land uh, in North America realize—they may not realize it now because they're being promised the new normal is coming in and the great reset is coming. That they their lives will be sort of normalized, but in effect, what these measures have done is to trigger the destruction of small and medium-sized enterprises, regional, local enterprises worldwide. That's what I call real capitalism, and it, and what what we are now seeing is that the the global financial establishment, which sits in offices in Wall Street or elsewhere, 
and they don't produce anything. They are there uh, in the aftermath of this crisis, and already now, going to pick up the pieces of bankrupt corporations, including air travel. I mean, the, 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 the airline companies are bankrupt. Yes. They're bankrupt. Most of them are bankrupt. I know that in, in Latin America, virtually every single one is bankrupt. And I don't know. Now they're all going to be corporate owned. Is that what you're saying? Well, what I what I'm saying is, I, I think that what's going to happen is that that um, there's going to be a consolidation uh, of ownership over uh, existing corporations. Uh, in some cases, uh, the whole landscape, economic landscape of urban services, restaurants, we see it already. You go downtown and everything is closed down. Uh, the, and that, and, and incidentally. I, I can't say that this is deliberate, it, because if if you if you can't, what they're trying, to, what they're telling us, and what the media is telling us, is that closing down planet Earth is a solution to killing to resolving a pandemic, and that pandemic is fake from the start. Right. And re, the only real thing that is happening is the destruction of people's lives. I I can't just describe it in any other way. It's the destruction of people's lives worldwide by denying them a right to work and so on. It's, and it, and then it gets- What terrifies me even more, frankly, is once you've destroyed everybody's lives, once you've told them that you're the savior because you have the vaccines, once you've um, marginalized or, or vilified people who um, are trying to the fact that this is not real. Um, now you have uh, paved the way for a vaccine, a mandatory vaccine that everybody's going to have to take, which is a, of course, I mean, the profits are going to be enormous. As, as Bill Gates said on vaccines, the profits are 20 to 1. That's the way I heard him put it in a video that, you know, I was like, oh, I see. And, um, and then they, you know, you have all the attending, um, the other attending accoutrements of this uh, this new world that we're in, which is tracking people who might be infected and uh, chipping people so that they have, um, so that you. I mean, this is literally now beyond controlling people. Now you're controlling what goes into their bloodstreams, what goes into their bodies, and and. I don't know. I don't hear that much talk about that. The new economy and the and the new realities um, that are that seem to be coming towards us. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, if you look at historically the development of capitalism from, let's say, the early the early nineteenth century with industrial revolution and so on. The tendency is, to, is towards monopoly capital, more yeah. industrial concentration, large banks taking over, um, and then you have these very powerful families like uh, David, uh, like Rockefeller, and so on. Uh, and and I and and these these powerful um, uh, financial interests are behind this project. Now, what obviously their wealth, money, wealth is not worth anything unless you actually transform it into the acquisition of real wealth. And now what I, I, I think is going to happen and what is already happening uh, is that, and that's why they want to postpone the, you know, they want to postpone the, the resumption of normal economic activity as long as possible, is that a lot of large corporations will be taken over for virtually nothing, okay? And maybe in some cases it might be a negative price. Uh, that, that happens. Uh, they say, well, we'll take it over, but we, we want to get some kind of uh, subsidy from the government to help us, you see, with uh, all the uncertainties. Uh, that's happened. Yeah. Uh, but, but the thing is that the, the purpose of this, of this uh, closure of the global economy is essentially 
um, for the creditors to come in. Uh, you'll have indebted governments everywhere and indebted because the whole productive uh, uh, structure has collapsed. Uh, there's a fiscal crisis of the state. People aren't paying taxes because they're unemployed and they're poor. And then they come to the rescue and then they, they will dictate conditions, the creditors. Now, there's a whole cartel of, of, of financial institutions. Of course, the World Bank, IMF, regional development banks, they're all involved in that. But what happens uh, if, let's just say, what happens if, all the governments are, are now bankrupt because now what you're talking about is the corporatization of the planet. That's what you're talking about, right? Well, yeah, that, that it is the corporatization of the planet and that's already ongoing. Okay. It's what, and it's what um, David Rockefeller called govern, global governance, right. okay? global governance. And actually, if you look at some of his writings, he says, well, this, this is an alliance between bankers and intellectuals. He puts it in that way. Uh, 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 it, it it is an imperial project. It's there to acquire uh, massive uh, real wealth all over the world, and then uh, the, these governments ultimately. I think most of these governments are going to collapse because they'll be so unpopular. But then they'll come in and they'll replace them with new proxies, and uh, and then those. What is going to happen is that anything which resembles a state-supported service in health, education, will be uh, corporatized or privatized. Um, but again, we notice in, in our day-to-day -day lives how people's family lives are disrupted. There are no weddings, there are no funerals. You can't meet for birthdays. Uh, you can't have sport events in the United States. Of course, that's- it's almost that's like they're trying to mutate the socialization of people. As more people are being born, people are going to be born into this, and um, they're going to become acclimated to the at the isolation, to the acquiescing to uh, messages that you know are aren't true or but but just I mean it's almost like this you know as we pass through and pass on. Uh, new people born into the situation are just, it's going to be their normal. So it's, it's, it will have to yeah. be done, you know, well, well, I, I think, I, I think it's very difficult to, to ascertain where we are going. Uh, I mean, I think there is a resistance movement, which is now uh, occurring, which is very, it's significant, but it's limited to, to a couple of major countries like Germany, there is a resistance movement. Uh, there's there's very little coverage of the resistance movement in the media, but people are, I think people have to organize. They have to organize at the local level in their communities and question those. those people uh, are so gripped by fear that, I mean, it's very interesting because um, I want to talk about this um, because we're, you know, we're running short of time, and it's very important to me that we talk about this part of it, which is, you know, you, for example, your WikiLeaks page is so funny. Wiki Wikipedia page is so funny because here you are, you're you're an eminent, uh, um, you're an eminent professor. You have you have this uh, that, and he's a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is yeah. that's the that's. That's the classic sign of somebody they want to censor or they want to discredit. Well, right there. You know, you have all these, uh, this august resume and you're a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, it, it, it's, I, I have to take it with a grain of salt now because um, it, it's got to be, I, I gave up the battle of getting my wikipedia entry oh no it's but of it's, course you know that they, they've removed a lot of things and they've also removed the fact that i contribute to a real encyclopedia which is encyclopedia britannica now that, that they don't mention uh, apart from the fact that in, in in another life i was a i was uh i was a fellow of uh, a teaching fellow of the fletcher school of law and diplomacy which is you know <laughs> And I, I mean, if I put that in, at least they could have left that in, but they didn't. But, but let, you know, we are, I think there's a limit to censorship. There's a limit to censorship 
they they obviously what we are presenting. Well, I mean, you may say that, Michelle, but it's not just censorship. It's it's the false messages, the unlimited false messages. And to to that point, you know, we were talking about your art article about collective narcissism and how they're they're now ginning up these studies, you know, they're having these studies now that talk about, you know, people being sociopaths because they're not going to follow a false narrative or they're not going to follow the, uh, the official narrative. And I, I find it very interesting because in one of your articles, you, you talked about, to me, the, the physicians are the frontline people in this whole thing because they see what they see. They treat the patients. And you, you mentioned this group called America's Frontline Doctors, uh, this group of physicians who had a press conference about what they were seeing and they were talking about the COVID and they were saying that, you know, kids, it doesn't really affect kids and, and kids don't really pass it on. And they were giving all these facts based on people they were treating and seeing and CNN right away attacked them as, you know, putting out false information and so a group yeah, but- of physicians and now they're a movement. You know, and well, they are a movement also at the international level. But the thing is that they, they not only that, but they, um, uh, they well, they took down their video and and they started to smear them. And they're saying, well, they're the extreme right, you know. But I think also there's one thing that disturbs me very much. It's particularly visible in the United States is that the the protest movements we have. I mean, there's racism in the United States. And Black Lives Matters happens to be funded by the, you know, by the Ford Foundation and by uh, and by Soros. Now, um, the the issue is that that protest movements are controlled by major foundations, and this has the has has a bearing on the fact that we are not protesting against the the COVID uh, pandemic scandal, so to speak. Well, I think what's happening, I think what's happening, and I think it's a, it, it might be the more effective way to go right now, is it's the courts. Because if you look at Fuel Mission is, and his COVID investigative committee, I spoke to him last week before I spoke to you today, and, you know, there are lawyers in 50 countries that are now also starting lawsuits. So going through the justice system, people are trying to go through the justice system. And he is particularly interested in the U.S. justice system, because here in the United States, when we file a complaint and he's filing a complaint saying that, you know, lockdown is is uh, uh, basically a human human rights violation, especially since it's based on smoking gun number one, fake testing or, or, you know, fraudulent testing, let me say, put it that way. And uh, when you file a complaint, you get what's called discovery here in the United States, which is whatever it is that the, the opposite side is basing their information on, they have to provide to you. Well, I, 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 I mean, I fully concur that that the judicial process is important. That we have a case in Canada, but the problem is, uh, as we know, that this could last for years. It, it's no, the, the, they'll say, well, no, it will, will have it, will have the hearings, the first hearings uh, in March of next year, uh, and and there, there's a ways of delaying, delaying uh, an actual legal procedure. And I don't think we can. We the, those procedures are important because they set a. They the people will realize, and all the analysis which is related to it, the fact that it is. I think it is a crime against humanity, and I and uh, but I think that we have to have movements which will act spontaneously and immediately particularly in view of this second wave. Now, the second wave is, is, is a second process of devastation right. where the, the remaining uh, small and medium-sized enterprises which have man- managed to survive, well, they're being, they're being knocked out from the, from the economic landscape and they're, and they're absolutely desperate. So that 
we have to be in solidarity with all the people who have lost their their, their employment and so on. It's Pardon? perfect because because while they're devastating these these uh, businesses, you have to stay home. You can't gather. It's, that's correct. It's the perfect. Well, that, that's correct. It's it's they're killing the the protest movements because people are not allowed to gather, and they're told that if you're gathering, well, of course, uh, you're going to transmit the virus. Then they say, okay, have the face mask because the virus doesn't go through the the you know the cloth. So everybody knows that the virus goes the virus through. Is, yeah. They can move in and out, and there again, you have people out like Fauci, who a few months ago says. Don't wear the face mask. It's bad for your health. It's bad. It's it's not a solution. And now he says the face mask must be universal. Again, these people are liars, and the the and the implications of these lies are, are so far-reaching. Uh, so I, I think we have. I think the the major priority is to dispel the fear campaign. That is the first thing because people will start to be able to reflect on what is happening to them when they know that the fear campaign is based on fake data fake analysis and and on on a and on a uh, on a virus which is not a killer virus but is similar to uh, to a seasonal influenza then they'll start realizing they've been lied to so we have to reveal the lies and uh, i mean this is exceedingly complex but I think it is essentially a, a, a way of breaking the consensus. This consensus is very weak, extremely weak. Why do you say that? Well, because it's based on a lie, okay? Oh, okay. Uh, if the PCR test doesn't measure the virus, then there is no other criterion which will corroborate, the which will justify the decisions which are taken. Now, well, secondly, of course, closing the national economy doesn't doesn't resolve a, a public health problem. Everybody knows that. Well, I have a couple. One question, and then I, I I want you to just say what you think my audience should hear from you as your last words on the show. Um, but the, I'm 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 paranoid they're going to move the goalposts and say, oh, I know that test didn't work, but this test is good, and this test shows, you know millions have COVID. I, I'm worried about the goalposts being moved. But that said, I, I'd like I'd like to hear what you, you know, what you really want the audience to take away from, from our hour together here. Well, I, I think it's very important <clears throat> to examine the facts. Uh, I know that a fear campaign can be devastating and it prevents people from thinking and reflecting and that we have to we have to respect people in our in our entourage we we have to talk we have to talk to them and not and not in an, in a in a in a respectful way and and that's that's to tell them no that this is not a killer virus and and um, I can you know let's discuss it and this has to be done across the land in communities. Uh, why is it you can't go to church anymore? You know, uh, why is it you can't gather? And they're telling us that they're closing down all the all the the whole U.S. economy is going to resolve it. But use your common sense. Uh, I but we have to dispel the fear campaign, and I think we have to confront the media conglomerates, which are responsible for that. And we also have to communicate with journalists who are uh, under tremendous stress to conform. I'm not, I'm saying mainstream I'd like to confront the culprits too, you know, Michelle. Oh, absolutely. You, con you confront the culprits. But the problem is that I, I think we have to start building a, a new consensus, which will be a majority consensus, and then They'll have no leg to stand on. This is an inquisitorial environment. Yes. It's, in many regards, it's similar to this, well, Michelle, to the Inquisition. I know. We've got to go. But this has been an amazing hour. Thank you so much. 
And uh, obviously, you're going to have to come back and we're going to have to finish this conversation as as things move forward, hopefully in a more positive way. <laughs> well, my best wishes to everybody in New York. And, uh, I think the American people have the insight and the understanding to, to move forward. 